Hello, and welcome to another episode of Tira Talks 2. I'm your host, Tira Suber, and today we are going to expand a bit on last episode, and we're going to call this episode, The Shame We Bear 2. I ended last week talking about going from middle school to high school, and I mentioned and spoke fondly of good friends, recalling that I was a complete tomboy and forced out of my comfort zone, hanging with my brothers and his friends, because I began to go through puberty. And so with developing breast and getting a little hippie and you know, a little butt, <laughs> the guys are like, you can't hang with us no more, boo. Because <laughs> you a girl for real, okay? And so I was comfortable with them. Creating bonds with girls was like weird because in my mind, girls were weird because I'm used to hanging with the guys and we say what we say and we mean what we say. And if we mad at each other, we're going to fight. And after the fight, we're going to hang out and we're going to go to the corner store and we're going to share our 25 cents and buy each other something. That's it. It's over with. It's done with. But with girls, it was like super different, like emotions and what they said wasn't really so like, yeah, we cool, but they didn't really mean it. So it was difficult for me to forge friendships or relationships with other girls only because, you know, and then hanging with guys, guys are very blunt. If they feel it, they say it. And other guys, they don't catch feelings. So you can imagine the trouble I was in trying to forge friendships with girls. Because it was like, you can't be saying that. So why can't I just say, those pants you got on is ugly. I don't like those pants. Oh, I didn't realize I wasn't supposed to say, girl, those pants is ugly. I was supposed to say, oh, they cute for you. <laughs> so as you can imagine I got myself in a lot of trouble with the girls and not only that because I was so cool with the guys and the other girls were already liking the guys and want to hang with the guys want to be with the guys me being cool with the guys were was not a good thing because then they like was thinking I liked them all or I was too cool with them and I was too friendly with them. So it was just confusing. So when I say I found me a group of girls that really just liked me for who I was and I didn't have to put on a front for anybody, it was special. It was special because they was cool. They was up front. And so these girls, I still have their phone numbers in my phone today because we could relate. And so I'm very grateful for those friendships that I was able to forge coming out of my shell of a tomboy and in my pants and my sweats and getting into skirts. Thank you girls for embracing a sister <laughs> and understanding me for who I was. Um, but that 
that summer, going from eighth grade into ninth grade, it was a rough one. Um, I just, I don't know what happened. It's like, I just became a full grown woman and standing in front of you was no longer stick legs, Tara, and flat chest. I was fully blossomed and people paid attention. Um, not that I went out to attract attention, wasn't into that, but attention was drawn just from the way you looked, you know? One of the things I um, was very uncomfortable with was conversations about feelings. And I attribute that to everything that happened to me that was traumatic in my past. You know, I just didn't feel like I could comfortably sit down and talk to anybody really about my feelings. And they took me seriously. My mom was so cool. My mom was like, she was my champion. You know, she just, she did, she was always present. She did things with me. And so she, I was comfortable talking to her about some things, but when it came to feelings, I just really didn't, I didn't cross that bridge with her. My dad, on the other hand, he was a dad, you know, I knew dad loved us. I knew it without a shadow of a doubt. And I'm comfortable talking about this because for those of you who do know, my dad is a preacher. He's a pastor. He has spoken from the pulpit about relationships and with your children. And just recently, I know just recently he spoke about our relationship and how it was not the best. You know, daddy was raised in a family. He was taught to be a provider. He came out of school before graduation because he had to work. So when dad and mom got married, I could imagine having a family. His main responsibility was taking care of the family and making sure we were okay. His responsibility in his mind was to provide. All that icky sticky stuff and, you know, that emotionally mushy gushy, that was my dad. My dad was a provider. He worked. Just in... Just briefly, I can tell my dad loved me. He showed and expressed his love with things. That was my dad. He didn't do hugs. He never said, I love you. You know, it was like when dad came home, good evening or good morning and good night. It was no conversation with my dad. It really wasn't. But, you know, my brother and I didn't lie for anything. Big wheels were a big thing back in the day. Kids, when the big wheels came out, we had our big wheels. We had some nice big wheels too. I'm going way back, y'all. Bicycles, we had the we had bikes all the time. TVs came out. We had TV, televisions in our bedroom. I was just talking to my cousin the other day and she said, remember that record player you had, cuz, with those big speakers? I'm like, yes, you know. Dad bought an entertainment center with basically with the TV, those stand up right radio players with a record player on the top and a place where two cassettes and a radio on it with the two tall speakers. I was, you know, I must have been my early teens. My dad, we had stuff. We had our own bedrooms. We, we didn't have to share anything. We had three wheelers. I mean, if there was material things, we had them. And so I believe that was my dad's way of expressing how he felt for us. He never said, I love you. He never said, here's, this is because you were good. This is because you were well-behaved. He didn't really congratulate us, well, me, for anything. But if I got in trouble, my dad would like take my head off. He'd come from my throat. And it was like, no mercy, no mercy. And so my relationship with him was rewards and chastisement, but not, you know, congratulations. You know, Terry, you're doing a good job, you know, but physical things holidays, birthdays, we got physical things, but, and I miss that. And years, 
down the line, him and I made up for it. And I'll get into that in another episode about the mending between me and my dad. It's an incredible story, but I was lacking that love and affection from the first man I really knew. It's my dad. I missed out on that. I didn't have that. And so back to going to ninth grade and after school and me being hot, fast, and on fire, hormones just buzzing. As gullible as I can be, as naive as I can be, just extremely impressionable, hormonal, just not knowing what to do with these feelings. And here he comes. He was cute. He was older. He was not from here. He had swag. And so I, I kind of liked him and I noticed he was checking me out. He's much older I, I didn't believe, and just from talking to people, I didn't ever see him around school, so I knew he was not in school, at our school, but he was there. You know, in, in hindsight, I'm thinking, what is, <laughs> I had to watch my language, what is the Negro doing here at this school? What is he doing here? He is much older than we are. He is not enrolled in this high school, but I was intrigued, and he gave me attention. He gave me compliments. He told me I was cute. I mean, I'm gullible and just as naive as can be, y'all. Just, just real talk. And so desperate for attention or any type of, I guess, validation would be the word I would use. That I was good enough from a man made me feel like I was important. Made me feel seen. And so, like I said, he had swag and we had sex. We did. It was real quick. It was real fast. There was no fireworks and I got pregnant, period. I'm 15. I'm pregnant. I'm scared. I know I'm pregnant. A few weeks down the line, I knew it. Once again, ashamed, afraid, out of control, not knowing what to do. And an older cousin who was staying with us at the time, was just trying to talk to her without telling her, just trying to find all kind of ways around seeing it. And I think she kind of suspected it, but she didn't say anything. Um, she encouraged me to talk to my mom if I was going through some things, but I was too afraid. I didn't know what to do. I tried to hide it and I got away with it for a couple of months. I remember my mom telling me, Tara, because <laughs> you know, my mom worked in a lab, right? At the hospital, Tara, I'm gonna leave this here to get a urine sample from you. Leave it for me. Now, mind you, my mom, I'm still a teen. I ain't got no job. She's buying all of my hygiene stuff. So she realizes that I haven't said, mom, I'm out of menstrual pads. You know, she realizes I'm not using it. And so when she started asking me for a urine sample, immediately I knew. I'm in trouble. So here my little dumb self. Go get me some red fingernail polish. <laughs> Trying to be all crafty and putting it all inside the, the menstrual pad and folding it up and putting it in the trash. My mom opened it right. I knew she opened it up. Probably went and looked. Because <laughs> I, I would do the same thing. Just, you know, thinking back in my mind, um, I would look. But mommy was not buying it. Here I go. Another month went by. I'm in class at school, four months pregnant, hiding it well. Because remember, I was never really comfortable in my new body that nature had given me. 
So I still attempted. Sometimes I would dress cute, but for the most part, I'd wear big clothes, baggy clothes. So I was able to conceal it in school. But when I got a letter, someone came down from the office, I believe. I don't believe they called me over the intercom. And basically with a note, and it basically said, your mom is here to pick you up. And the first thing I thought is somebody's dead. Something's happened. I got to go home. It's an emergency, right? This chick is sitting up in the office with her pocketbook. <laughs> and she says, let's go. She's not really talking a lot. So I don't know what's going on. I'm too nervous to ask her. You know, I'm still trying to fiddle with my shirt to cover up what I'm hiding. And we go across the bridge to downtown Charleston. MUSC used to have a, a clinic for prenatal care. I went in there and I remember them calling me to the back and I gave that urine sample. I knew what it was about. The minute we turned downtown, I knew across the bridge. I knew what was going on. We did a sample and the lady comes out and tells my mom that her 15-year-old daughter is pregnant. My mom was devastated. I had only had sex with this gentleman the once unprotected of course no fireworks no bright lights no nothing but here I am now what a baby in my stomach we went home and somehow she told my dad he came home from work and it was terrible I just it got so bad because remember my dad you know he's tough my aunties my auntie and my uncle having to come over and kind of calm him down. I had been so upset because of what was being said and yelled at me that my blood pressure had went up, that my nose started to bleed profusely. Towels and towels and towels and nothing would stop them. Nothing would stop it. And um, my aunt being in the medical field, it made her very nervous. And so she made my dad stop. Like, you gotta stop coming at her. It's nothing we can do. We, she's pregnant now. That was a rough day. And then I had to tell them who I was pregnant. They knew who he was. They knew how old he was. And so then came the second layer of the beatdown, the verbal beatdown. Yes, um, it was a bad day. It was a rough day. I was um, only pregnant for probably another two months because no prenatal care. My body was young. I took it four months of no attention, no vitamins, no nothing. I just kept doing activities that I was doing, jumping, skipping, hopping, swimming, whatever it was. I didn't stop because this was all a part of the cover-up. And it was the lack of um, nutrients um, that my body was receiving to sustain a healthy pregnancy that I went into preterm labor. And um, I gave birth to a two-pound, five-ounce boy. On April 25th of 1988, my mom was there with me. My um, They did not believe he would survive. He was immediately taken to the NICU, which is an acronym for Neonatal Intensive Care Unit. And they took very good care of him. They kept him alive and kept him well. He was discharged from the hospital at a whopping five and a half pounds or almost six pounds on July 8th of the same year. And um, I was able to take him home. But um, shame. I guess the couple of months in between not being able to, not having the baby physically and visibly, I was able to like 
kind of bounce back and be my old self. I played it safe. I didn't get in any trouble. But once I had to bring him home and the shame now had a face that was looking right back at me. It was difficult. It was very difficult. But he was my child and he was my responsibility. If I had to say anything about today's episode, I think I would say it is very important, the relationship between dads and daughters. Your relationship is more important than you realize. Daddies love pure, innocent, honest love on your daughters from an early age and continue to build that relationship and continue to love on your daughter because the way you love your girl is like a safety barrier for them as they get older. You love your girls right, then these little jokers in the street won't have a chance for the most part because once they experience the pure, unadulterated love from their dad, the first man they know, that's a high bar, okay? So as they get older and as they mature and they begin to experience relationships for themselves, then these guys going to have to come correct. They come at all. Buy your daughter's flowers. Give your daughter's gifts. Buy your daughter's jewelry. So these cats can't come up on them and play them. Tell your daughters you love them. Because they'll, they would have already experienced pure, true, unconditional love from their daddies. So if you want to love me, you want to commit to me, you want me to reciprocate that feeling for you, your game is going to have to be set because my daddy set the bar real high. And I'm going to know if it's not right because I've already been loved right. I've already been treated like a queen, like a princess. So I, I know what real love feels like because I've experienced this. If you have a niece and the dad is not there, Come on, uncles, love on these girls. Give them a pure love, unconditional love. Step up. If you have a young lady in your life and you know they don't have a father figure, don't take advantage of them. Don't abuse the trust, but bridge the gap with agape. It makes a difference. It makes a world of a difference. Trust me, I know. Thank you so much for listening today. In the weeks to come, we'll continue this journey. I'll begin to talk about my experiences as a teen mom. I'll begin to talk about my relationship with my son's father. I'll begin to talk about the healing process of coming out of that unhealthy relationship that was basically built on the fact that we had a child together. I'll be talking about those things in the next few episodes. The shame we bear is something that should never happen. If more people are open and honest about their past and encourage you and let you know, you know, you're not the first and you won't be the last. Your situation does not define who you're going to be. If people were more encouraging during your low times, <laughs> I'm telling you, 
the world will be a different place and a lot of people will turn out a whole lot better and go through a whole lot less struggle emotionally suppressing bad feelings and they'll be able to get through and get on top a whole lot faster. Say something positive to somebody today. Do that. Join me next time for Tara Talks 2. Until then, thank you for listening and be encouraged.